how many of you guys just love the time change? Anybody? Like, technology doesn't work on time. Your babies don't work on time. Have you noticed that? Like, time change doesn't mean anything to our children. Now, now I love time change because it always just messes something up. And sometimes I feel like our lives being messed up is actually a really good thing, right? That we go on our life and our normal rhythm and we need someone. We need something to kind of shake it up a little bit. But but I love time change because I grew up in the church and I remember the times where it would be the Sunday of time change and everyone would be all off, right? People were showing up different times. But now we live in a world of cell phones, right? And so how many of you guys actually changed your clocks last night to get ready for this morning? Anybody? Like, honestly. Holy smoke. See, I just trust my cell phone, right? I was like, that'll, that'll just work. But here's the problem. If you're off on your time change, imagine you had an airplane this morning, right? And you get to the airport, and you're actually an hour off, and you're trying to convince everyone, the flight attendant there, you're trying to convince them, like, wait, wait, wait. I'm not late. You guys are all wrong, Right? Like, you guys have the wrong clocks, not me. I actually kind of feel like that's what we're watching Jesus do in the Gospel of Luke. That he's living in this kingdom world. That he's inviting people into, but they're all on a totally different time schedule. Have we seen that in Luke? Jesus is walking and talking and preaching about this kingdom, but as he looks out to the people, they're like, wait, wait, wait. Like, we didn't change our clocks today. We don't know what you're doing, Jesus. We're totally confused. We're operating in a different schedule, at a different pace, in a different rhyme, and for a different reason. And that's what Jesus has been doing patiently for these last three years of the Gospel of Luke. He's been inviting us into relationship with him, saying, hey, you need to orient your life and your clock around me. Because if you don't set your alarm before... When that alarm goes off, when that plane takes off, you're actually going to miss it. It's actually going to be too late because you didn't prepare for what was coming tomorrow. And so as we dive back into Luke this morning, I want to just remind us and really kind of start there. Walk through the Gospel of Luke. This is kind of the last hurrah, guys. we got seven weeks of Luke. Like, I'm getting depressed. Anybody else? Like, maybe you're relieved. Maybe you're like, finally. No, no. Seven weeks left, and we're coming to the climax of Jesus, but, but here's where we've been. We started two and a half years ago. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, with the big idea of the entire book being what? Certainty. Certainty. I write these things so you might know about the things that you've heard, taught, and said about this Jesus guy. Luke writes to Theophilus. And then he goes on the next few chapters and he says, look, Jesus is unique. He's like nobody else. And we look at his beginning of his life. He was born like nobody else. He had a forerunner like nobody else. He was a 12-year-old like nobody else. And that was the beginning of his life in chapters 1 up to chapter 4. And then chapter 4, he started his ministry. Remember that? His first sermon, he went away to get ready for his ministry. The, the Satan, the devil meets him in, in the wilderness, but, but Jesus overcomes because prayer is the work, because the Spirit of God is on him, and he begins to gather his disciples, and they go on this journey. They have most of their time in the Galilean ministry region, but they go on this journey to Jerusalem, and we were there from chapter 951 all the way through chapter 19, and on his way to Jerusalem, he's preaching and teaching, and he's healing the lame, but he's trying to help them understand your clocks have been off. You've been looking for the wrong thing. You've been waiting for the wrong thing. The right thing is here, and he's right in front of you. You see why our theme for Easter is I saw Jesus win, right? Because we miss him. Right in front of his disciples, they miss him. Right in front of pre-believers, they miss him. And then he gets to Jerusalem. Now, why did he go to Jerusalem? Who remembers? To die. They went to Jerusalem to die. Now, that's not all of his life. He just spent his whole life living. But he gets to Jerusalem to die. And we've been in the Holy Week since chapter 1945 till now for the last few months. This sacred week that we talk about as believers, and I don't know about you, but even now during Lent, as we prepare for the Seder, we just got done with Monday, Thursday. If you haven't signed up for our Seder dinner yet, look in the worshipful. You have details there for the Monday of Holy Week. It's going to be available. Space is limited. 
but an opportunity for his disciples to walk with Jesus, to talk with Jesus, to sit with him at his feet while he teaches before his death. And so here we are now, the last seven weeks for us, really the last 24 hours for Jesus. The last seven weeks for us is going to be focused on these last 24 hours. Really, that's what the month of March is going to be about, the trials and the death of Jesus. And we're going to look at it in two different subparts. Today is part one. Next week, I'll do part two. And then on week three, on Palm Sunday, we'll cover all of chapter three at once. Don't ask me how. Just pray. (laughs) And so that's where we're going for these next three weeks, getting ready for Easter. And this week, we're going to focus on the betrayal of Judas. But even before the betrayal of Judas, we actually see the disciples miss it again. Because that's what disciples do. And that should give you encouragement, church. Because <laughs> if you're here as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, first of all, I normally say 515 is my favorite service. Today, it's the 9 a.m. You know why? Because you're early. And I see a lot of you 515ers out there. You guys are just saints that are like, I'm going to go to the worst service. That was today. You're here. Congratulations. <laughs> but I love this because you are the disciples following Jesus. And guess what? You're going to miss it this week, too. You missed it last week. Be encouraged, but fight for your joy. Don't accept it. Don't accept your miss, and that's what we're going to look at today. Here's my summary statement this morning. If you have your Bibles, Paul, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Shocker. And here's what we're going to see. Jesus moves towards the cross. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to learn of the magnitude of his sacrifice, as well as how those who love him ought to respond. Now, we talk of vintage grace that we're not going to should on you, right? That should with a D. Listen carefully. We're not going to do that, but, but please don't miss this. The disciples miss it. We get the the beauty of having 2,000 years of retrospect. May we not, church? Part of why Luke wrote this is so that Theophilus wouldn't miss it like the disciples did. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Luke chapter 22, we're starting in verse 39. Here we go. And he came out and he went. This is just after the Last Supper. He came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when they came to the place, he said to them, pray that you will not enter into temptation. And when he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away, he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat began to drop like bloods falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. He said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. The the clock has been changed. Don't miss this, that you might not enter into temptation. And then while he was speaking, there was this crowd that came, and this man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. And he just said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me yet once, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Father God, I want to come before you this morning and beseech you on behalf of of us as a church that there are moments in our life when we're missing it when we feel like it's the hour of darkness. May we not miss you in that moment. It's so easy to miss. And so Jesus, we need you. Spirit of God, we're desperate for you to move in our hearts and in this place and in this world. Come, Jesus, come. In your name, we ask these things, and everybody said, amen. Here's where we're going. It's this last moment of Jesus. He gets done with the Last Supper. Here's the setting. Remember, again, we've been off of Luke for two weeks. We're back now for the next seven. We've been off for a couple weeks. So don't forget where he's been. He's had the Last Supper, and here's the setting. 
The disciples don't really understand everything that's going on. Judas has already gotten up and left the table, right? He's walked away. The betrayal has already been starting in his heart for probably months and weeks at this point. And so Judas is gone. You have the 11, and they're stepping out after this meal. And, and this is what we see from Luke. He comes out, and he goes, as was his custom. It's just what Jesus did after his meal. After his meal, it was very normal for Jesus to take off. He'd go away in a quiet space, and what would he do? Anybody know? He'd pray. See, I think sometimes we think Jesus came to die. He did. It's probably the most important thing that Jesus ever did was die and reconcile you and me to the Father on a cross on Calgary between noon and three. That is the most important thing that Jesus ever did, but sometimes we forget that Jesus also came to show us how to live. He showed us as believers what it looks like to live in union with the Father because we have our clocks all messed up, because we're not paying attention, because we actually forget that our home is not El Dorado Hills. Our home is the kingdom of God, that there's a future calling in each and every one of us that we miss. And so Jesus would regularly model for believers, pre-believers, which some of his disciples were, what it looks like to be in unity with the Father. And so as was his custom, he'd go to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Are the disciples doing well so far? Yeah. They're following him. In fact, if you read John's gospel, Matthew and Mark specifically, here's what they say. They say the disciples were singing, kind of like us this morning. Look to the sun. They were singing. They were celebrating. Luke doesn't tell us that, but here's what Luke tells us. They're following Jesus, which is the goal. It's the goal to follow our rabbi. And so the disciples, they're on the right track. They're following Jesus. And when Jesus comes to the place, Mount of Olives, he says to them, guys, here's my, here's my ask. Here's what I need you to do right now. If Jesus would come and tell you right now what he needs you to do, would you listen? Are you listening? Here's the ask from Jesus. Would you pray? See, when we say things like prayer is the work, it can't be a fancy slogan or a hashtag. It can't even just be an alarm. Let's be honest. This is the honesty mark of, of the morning. Are you ready? How many of you guys have your alarms go off at 1142? At 1142, church, we pray for the 42,000 people in our community that don't yet know Jesus, that apart from him are going to hell. I've asked you as your pastor, would you set your alarms at 1142 to do that? Okay, let's be honest. How many of you guys had your alarm go off at 1142 and you didn't pray? Bunch of liars. Am I the only one as your pastor? The pastors are raising their hands, right? Be encouraged, church. Maybe, okay, how many of you guys even don't have an alarm set? How about we go there? Right, okay, now it makes a little more sense. Because we get busy because we forget what clock we're aligned to. And here's what Jesus says. If you don't pray now, you won't be ready for tomorrow. So he says to his disciples, pray. That prayer is a command. That's not like a strong suggestion. I try to tell my kids sometimes, this is not a strong suggestion. This is an imperative. This is a command, and it's not in the Greek. It's in the fatherdom, right? Children, are you listening? This is a present command. It means I need you to do it now, and it's going to be ongoing in your walks with Jesus. Pray. Now, here's the why. Here's the warning behind the ask. He says, I need you to pray. Why? Because you are in a battle with an enemy, and I pray that you don't enter in temptation. We live in a world with an enemy, and what is the enemy's goal in each and every one of our lives? To destroy our joy, to destroy our trust, to destroy our hope, to destroy our peace. Have you felt that this week? Anybody? There's an enemy that seeks to roam around, to seek, to kill, and to destroy. Who does he want to destroy? You and me. Every single one of us. C.S. Lewis wrote a great, great piece of work called The Screwtape Letters, where one of the enemy's main attacks is to convince us that he doesn't exist. Many of us live that way. We live in a world and in a time change that we're not actually thinking about the kingdom. When we don't live thinking about the kingdom, he's winning. Now, now church, can I just tell you one of the things I'm most fired up about at Vintage Grace? 
I continue to meet people every week in life groups and on Sundays and at the baseball field and all over, and I'm talking about you. I continue to meet people that you're actually living for the kingdom. Thank you. Because that's what Jesus wants us to be talking about. It's what Jesus wants to be thinking about. But can I just, can I just make a note here? When Jesus says that we're going to storm the gates of hell, and I've added the whole water pistol mentality, right? Because many, many of us feel like I don't have like a hose. I just got a water pistol. It's like a one-shot water pistol. That's okay. But as you take ground of the enemy, how does the enemy feel about that? Again, I'm not trying to be confusing here. The enemy doesn't want his ground taken, and many of you stand up every Sunday. You come and you gather. You scatter at the end of every Sunday to go be the living proof of loving God. How does the enemy feel about that? He's ticked. Church, that's like the greatest compliment. You are ticking off Satan. And so here's what Jesus says. Disciples, you're going to do this. You're going to drive the enemy nuts. You better be praying. You better be praying because if you don't, you're not going to be ready for what tomorrow comes. And so he tells his disciples, pray that you might not enter into temptation. And here's what I love about Jesus. He's kind of giving us a temp check. Every morning we wake up and the kids say, hey, Dad, how hot is it outside? Why? Because they want to dress accordingly, right? Jesus is simply saying, disciples, do a temp check. Are you ready? Check the temperature. Be ready for what you're going to walk out to. Gird up for battle, church. That's what he says to the disciples. And so here's what I love. Vintage Grace, you are taking ground of the enemy. He is ticked. Please hear me. That blesses me. But you know what comes with blessing? Trials. This last month has been hard. We sat in staff meeting this week as a pastoral staff. Many of us praying and weeping because we've done a temp check. And here's what I'm seeing in marriages, in finances, in relationship with our children. You name it. It has been hard. And maybe that's not you. But if it is you, please hear me. We are with you. Insecurities are rampant. Satan is poking at you. He is prodding. He wants to discourage you. He actually just wants to take you out. Church, pray that you might not enter into temptation. And the two best things we can do when the enemy attacks, and we've seen this throughout Luke, is we need to call it out. When the enemy blitz on our blind side, we've seen this the last few chapters, right? When the enemy blitzes on our blind side, here's the best thing we can do, church. We can call it out and say, enemy, you have no power here. You have no authority. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Church, are we listening? Because if we're listening, we pray. If we're listening, we wouldn't be discouraged by the attack. Then we'd be like, sweet! What a compliment, church, because Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, there is no disease in a morgue. Church, we are not dead. He is risen, he is alive, and he is taking ground in our area. Amen? Amen. I mean, I'm pumped and I'm cautious. That's the disciples should be. They're pumped and they're cautious. So we call out the attack of the enemy, and then we call on God, because if we recognize that you and I have no power against the enemy, then what are we going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray, and we're going to watch, and we're going to stand up with boldness, and we're going to say, no, you have no authority here. You have no power here. And so when your wife comes at you, and when your kids come at you, or when they don't come at you, and they take off and they run away from you, and when your spouse bails, and when the job market crashes, because I know it's good right now, but it's not going to stay good. I don't mean to be a doom and gloom guy. It's just called the cycle of life. But God. But God is constant and never changing. So let's do the temp check that we might not enter into temptation. And here's all about Jesus. He never asked us to do something that he hasn't already done for us and with us. 
Jesus doesn't ever ask us to do anything he hasn't done for us and with us. So what is Jesus going to do? He's going to go pray. And so he withdraws with them about a stone's throw away that there's this distance between them and the disciples. It's a distance of of actual geography and proximity, but it's also of intimacy with the Father. There's a gap. They're, They're still living on a different plane, a different time change. And so Jesus withdraws and he goes away. But notice his posture when he prays. He kneels down and he prays. I think, again, my metaphor, but he opens his hands. A sign of surrender. That's the attitude of Jesus when he comes to pray. I don't know about you, but maybe when you used to come to your father, we think of praying as asking. It's what it is, but often we would ask with a little bit of an attitude, right? I want this. I need this. Look at the posture of Jesus, kneeling down, open-handed, praying. And here's the ask with the attitude, Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Does Jesus want to go to the cross on some level? Some level, yes. On some level, what? No! Fully God, fully man. The fully man side says what? This is going to hurt. Don't miss this. I think too many times we look at Jesus and we say, yeah, but you know, it wasn't that painful. What? You want to try? Here's what Jesus says to his father. Father, if you are willing, would you remove this cup from me? You're God. You are God. If there is any other way, here's what Jesus says. Let's do that. Now that's not a sin. The sin would be in the attitude of saying, God, fix this. This is your problem, Father. These are your people. Fix this. No, the son goes to the father and says, Father, if you are willing, would you remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, do you see the but God there? Nevertheless, God, I trust you. I trust that your better is better. Not my will, but your will be done. Again, church, this is one of the most beautiful prayers. Here's the problem. We all know it, but can we actually pray it? Father, as I look at my life, as I look at my circumstances, I want these circumstances different. Is that a bad prayer, church? No, I don't think so, not according to Jesus. I want my circumstances changed. I want them different. But God, I believe something in you. I believe that no matter whatever it is that I'm in the middle of, and I'm just speaking generalities because I love this because after today someone's going to say, did you talk to Drew about our marriage? (laughs) No, I just know that if you're a part of your marriage, it has issues. It's not even funny. That's real. See, here's the reality. God created us in this world, and he knows that we are desperate and dependent for him, and Jesus models that. Jesus isn't lacking anything, but he's very clear to the Father in his dependence going, God, if there's another way, would you please? But I trust you. But I trust you. I trust you in the midst of this. In fact, I trust if you have me in the middle of this trial, it's actually what you want for me. Because you're going to meet me here in a way that that I wouldn't experience you another way, so your will be done, he says. Now, now I want to talk about this just for a moment, because I think of this as quick read. Anyone ever use quick read? Built a fence in your backyard, or or it's this cement that once you mix it and you pour it in, it solidifies how fast? Anybody know? Quick. You guys are smart. (laughs) Woo! That was the spirit of God. I'm confident. It's quick. It's quick, and so I want to talk about this right now because if you're standing and the quick rate gets poured in and you haven't already understood and come to the decision that if I'm standing in this pit and quick rate comes in, what should I do? Get out. But if you haven't prayed up, if you haven't stayed up, if you haven't considered the cost, when the quick rate comes in, it happens quick and it happens fast and it's almost like being besieged. It's slow and it's fast all at the same point until you got nowhere to go. And so, church, we need to talk about this now because maybe you're going, man, I'm just so thankful we're not like them. Careful. 
Because some of you are going to go home this afternoon, and again, please hear me, you should praise God if your marriage is thriving. That's rad. That's a gift of God. That's not your awesomeness. That's grace. Because grace saves us and grace sustains us. But as that happens, you need to be on guard now because when the quick read comes, you need to be ready to run towards Jesus. Be on guard, he says. Your will be done. Because let me just say it this way. I don't want to speak in, in absolutes. But if we don't pray up today when things are good, we won't be ready for him when things are bad. And I'm never saying it's too late, but my theology of more joy in Jesus, it was already starting before the cancer diagnosis of my son. It was affirmed during that diagnosis. But let me be very clear. If I didn't believe it before the diagnosis, I sure as heck wasn't going to believe it in the middle of it. When the rubbish hits the fan, I have to believe that God is in control. I have to believe that his better is better. And I got to see that this week in one of our people. It was so rad. A family that wanted to have a kid for a long time, wasn't able to have a kid, and then they had a kid, and guess what they, they encountered when they had their baby? Massive complications. I mean, you, you fight for your joy, you fight for child, and you get the child, and then everything is like, wait, this wasn't the plan, right? This isn't how it was supposed to go. And even talking to him last night, he goes, you know what's been incredible is I don't even think I realized at times just how bad it really was. I don't know if that was God's grace protecting me or if that was God's gift saying, no, 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 you just trust me. But make no mistake, this family believed that God's better was better before they couldn't have kids, when they had kids, and when the kid that they had, they didn't know if they were going to be able to keep. Church, I don't know what your future holds. It will include trial. It will include tragedy. The question is, do we believe that God's better is better? Because this is how I would say it. There must be a conviction that God's ways are higher and better than my ways. Or when we don't get our way, we won't trust his. We become fair-weather fans of Jesus, not followers and disciples of the king. And so Jesus says, disciples, you need to pray. You need to pray this way so that you will not enter temptation. And so Jesus keeps praying, and he's stressing on some level. He's looking at the future that comes. I don't think it's a sinful stress, but he's saying, I don't want this pain. And then in that moment of saying, God, if there's another way, do this, an angel of God appears to him. Why? Because God hears us. Because God hears our cries for help, and he always meets us. And so God is crying out, and God, through an angel, comes and meets you. You can look up these verses later. We see it in Elijah the prophet. We see it in Psalms and in Daniel multiple times where God sends an angel to meet us in our moment of need. Make no mistake, when we talk about the living proof of loving God, that's part of our call, church, I think, is actually to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and his angels. On some level, to put angels out of a job, right? Because we're just living and loving like Jesus and his beings would. And so in that moment, an angel appears to Jesus and strengthens him from within. God answers the need of Jesus in his desperation, in his dependence, saying, Father, your will, not my will, be done. And being in agony. See, notice this. When the angel comes, it's not like, oh, you know what? We're going to change our plan. God's like, you're right, Jesus. There is another way. I totally forgot. No, he says, this is the only way, Jesus. But Jesus, you trust me, so we're going to the cross. See, sometimes Jesus doesn't take us out of our moment of pain. He inserts himself in it. That's what we can't miss. He meets us in that moment. And even though his agony of pain, he continues to pray more earnestly. He continues to submit to the Father. He continues to literally sweat that becomes like these great drops of falling blood down to the ground. And he recognized that God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, and what else? Wait, is that not like the answer, right? Like faithfully the answer is wait. Wait. Because God doesn't want us to miss the blessing in the mess. 
We're so anxious at times to move past what we're in the middle of that we actually miss what God has for us right here, right now. And so God often answers wait, but he always provides the sustaining grace and the strength from the spirit that we need, which is what I think he does for Jesus. He says, Jesus, I'm not going to remove this cross from you, but I'm going to meet you in every second of that moment as you go to Golgotha. And so that's what we see. We see Jesus' emotions are real. They're raw. Church, don't hide your emotions. Cry out to God. He can handle it. He's experienced them. That's why Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, beseeching him, interceding for you and me in those moments of pain and of suffering, saying, would you help God? Would you meet my brother? Would you meet my sister in this moment as they are where they are? They need you. And you know what God's really good at doing and being? Meeting yours and my needs. The problem still for me comes when I don't actually go to him when I have a need. I try to fix it, and then I go, okay, God, I'm stuck. See, Jesus knows what's coming. In the first place he goes, because that's his habit, is getting away to the garden to pray. That's just what he does. That's just who he is. That idea of praying without ceasing is not a new concept to him. He can't imagine life without being connected to the Father. And so that's what we see from Jesus. And so Jesus gets the strength that is game time, and so he arose to pray. He got up. He said, let's go. It's time to pray. And he's kind of, I think at this point, he's kind of pumped. Now, he's probably a little exhausted. He's probably a little fatigued, right? Sweating blood. He gets up, and he goes, and he's like, but guys, it's game time. You you ever get pumped up for a game? I feel this way like every Sunday morning, right? I I get a little giddy. I'm like, it's game time. We're going to gather, and then we're going to scatter. Let's go. And so Jesus, I think he's a little pumped. He's exhausted, but he's pumped, and he arose, and he goes from his prayer, and he comes to the disciples, his teammates, right? He's like, guys, this is it. God said we're not, we're going to go to the cross, but it's okay. God's got a plan. Let's go. And what does he find his disciples doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. How? For sorrow. You ever been so overwhelmed and so tired and so exhausted by the circumstance of your life, you just pass out in exhaustion, like at 4 p.m., speaking from experience sometimes, right? Again, that's what's going on. And I don't want to beat the disciples up because we're going to talk about Judas in a second. He really does betray Jesus. But on some level, the sleeping for sorrow is, is a piece of betrayal. Why? Because Jesus asked them to pray and they didn't. They fell asleep. And so even Jesus' question here when he says, why are you sleeping? That communicates, look, I get that life is hard. I get that life is tough. I get that cancer stinks. I get that your marriage has issues. I get that your job is tough and your kids aren't perfect. I get that in spite of what Instagram says. I get it. I get it. But he says, why are you sleeping? See, what he's saying is that's not an excuse to bail, church. That life is hard is not an excuse to bail. In fact, that life is hard is the whole reason why we must pray. It's the whole point, just like you're proving my point here. So he doesn't let him off the hook. What does he say to him? Rise and pray. He says, when that alarm goes off and you skip it, next time it goes off, rise and pray. What? And he's like, I got a whole new plan for you guys. You failed on the first, I got a whole new plan. No, he doesn't. Look at the words. They're the same. Pray that you would not enter into temptation. Because life is hard. Because hell is hot. And because the enemy wants to destroy you and me. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that next week in Peter, that the enemy wants to take us out. So rise and pray that you might not enter into temptation. And guys, this is the call of our church, that we would be the living proof of a loving God. That we would set our alarms for 1142, that we would pray and we would watch for opportunities to engage in the darkness. Because we do believe that prayer is the work. Because we do believe that every one of us is overwhelmed at moments with sorrow. 
and we're going to sleep. It's why we need community. It's why we need life groups. We need people to come alongside. And it was so cool talking to this family, even just last night, with their baby saying, I love that my life group loved us. I know they were praying for us. We felt those. As a hospital dad myself, I get it. Because we can't do it on our own. Because on our own, we sleep for sorrow. Every single one of those disciples, boom, gone. But Jesus says, don't. Recognize the blind side. Be on guard. Church, don't be discouraged when you live in sorrow. Recognize that as an opportunity to step in to Jesus, that he would meet you there. And so Jesus rises. It is game time. And he goes. And so don't miss this. We're under attack. That's a real thing. We must recognize that. We must fight for each other and for the glory of God. And while Jesus was speaking, so as this is going on with his disciples, this crowd of people starts to come up. So you don't miss this. There is no stop between the first paragraph this morning and the next paragraph. It's instantaneous. It's while this happening. And I just want to note real quick, here's what I love. Jesus is getting ready to get taken out right now, right? We read the text earlier. But is Jesus hiding from the enemy? I think we miss this sometimes, church, right? The enemy's big. The enemy's scared. The enemy does have a plan to take us out, and so we take off. Is Jesus hiding? No, no. He's doing the same thing he does every single time. Jesus is like, oh, I know when we get Jesus I know when it will be a quiet place, when no one else will be around, because after every dinner, he goes away and he prays, because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is not hiding. He's not mixing up his rhythm and his routine to keep the enemy on his toes. No, he's like, come on, guys, let's go. Bring it. And so while Jesus was speaking, there comes this crowd. It's the crowd that's been following Jesus with Judas. It's all the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they come to Jesus while he was talking. One of them was Judas with them, leading them. And he drew near to Jesus, and he kisses him. And he kisses him. Again, a common greeting, but if you kiss me, I'm going to assume you're Judas, okay? Can we just be on that page at least? <laughs> in their town, it was a common greeting. In our town, it's awkward. But in their town, Judas comes and he kisses him, but it means intimacy. It means relationship. That's what it means. It means that you and I are brothers, are Judas and Jesus brothers. Now, Judas has left that team. He's walked away. And notice how Judas responds because Judas thinks he's in control. He's got his band of misfits. He's going towards Jesus and he's going to win. And he thinks he's in control. And what does Jesus do? He turns the whole table. He says, dude, you missed it, man. I, Jesus, am still in control. If I wanted to hide from you, I would have. You're going to feel successful at some point when I go to the cross. Don't miss this. I put myself there. And so Jesus takes control of this super awkward situation. And he says, you see the but God there, right? But Jesus intercedes. Jesus doesn't sit by passively. He says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Would you do this? Is this how it's going to go down? Is this how you're going to kind of walk away from the faith and, and leave me? Don't worry. I'm going to allow you to do that. And here's what I love. Whenever Jesus has a message for us, it always comes in a question as if, he, as if he's asking us to repent and come back. You see the question there? Jesus doesn't always go with just the right theology. The tone and the timing matters. So here's what Jesus says. Judas, would you do this to betray the Son of Man? Don't forget, I am God. I am in control. I am in charge. And would you do this with a kiss? Because Judas, I bet you were there when you saw other people kiss me. You were there when the woman that was deep into sin came and she poured perfume on my feet. Remember this in chapter 7? You poured perfume on my feet and she couldn't stop kissing my feet. You ever kissed perfume before? You ever kissed feet before? <laughs> Judas, you were there. Judas, this is how it's going to go down? And even in that moment, I feel like it's Jesus lovingly calling Judas, saying, are you sure you want to do this? And on some level, it's okay, because I'm going to allow you to, because it's going to further the kingdom. 
So he says, go ahead, betray me with a kiss. And when, one, when those who were around him, all those disciples, when they saw what was going on, when they saw where this was heading, John tells us that Peter specifically is the one. When Peter and the disciples saw Judas come, again, Peter has a tendency to think before he does anything, to speak and to act before he ever thinks, right? And so we see this in Peter. Peter cries out. It could have been someone else, but Peter cries out, Lord, shall we strike them with the sword? They got swords. They got pitchforks. It's game time. And Jesus is like, you were sleeping during game time. Like game time was before. Now it's just the replays of what's going to happen. This is the Sports Center top 10, right? And Peter is faithfully on the sports center, not top 10. You see that? And so here's what Peter does. Peter asks the question, which again, you're like, sweet, Peter's getting it. Ask before you act. But he never waits for an answer, does he? Peter, according to John, strikes the servant of the high priest and cuts off his ear. This is, again, a picture of Peter not being prepared. See, church, so often I think we think we need to defend Jesus, but we never actually pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want us to do? And Jesus was like, wait, wait, I need you to turn the other cheek this time. And next time, here's the game plan. I need you to turn the other cheek. And next time, here's the plan. Hold on, hold on, it's gonna surprise you. I need you to turn the other cheek. And we, as the church, at times, respond with violence, and we actually miss that Jesus is like, no, 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 I got this. And so Peter responds the only way that he knows how. Here's the problem. His clocks aren't aligned with Jesus' clocks. Do you see that? And so he responds in this way. And I love Jesus' response here. Don't miss the rebuke. But Jesus, again, more but gods everywhere. But Jesus said, no more of this. No more of this, Peter. See, here's what Jesus is doing. He's rebuking his disciples up until the very last moment. No more of this, Peter. You better pray because actually tomorrow is going to be even harder than today. No more of this. Trust that my better is better. And he doesn't just rebuke him with his words, but then notice this is Jesus' last miracle, and Luke just kind of throws it in as like a tag on to the story. You see it? Oh, and by the way, he grabbed his ear and he shoved it back on. (laughs) You see that? And he touched his ear and he healed him. Because again, Luke's already told us this, the miracles aren't even what's most important. Now this miracle matters, the message matters as well. Peter, knock it off, why? Because the Jews are gonna go to the Roman centurions, they're gonna go to the Roman leaders, they're gonna go to the Roman officials, they're gonna say, Jesus is trying to stir the pot and create a coup against Rome. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? I just healed that dude. And I told my disciples to knock it off. See, way too often pre-believers judge Jesus by followers of Jesus. And guess what, guys? All too often we're not a very good picture, amen? Repent of that. Don't just agree with it. Repent of that and say, Jesus, change me from the inside out. I don't want to be like Peter anymore. I know it's natural. It's natural to fall asleep in sorrow. It's natural to give up. It's natural to unplug. It's natural to say, I'm done. Don't. Trust is better is better. So Jesus says to Peter, no more of this. Knock it off. And he touches his ear and he heals him, saying, there is no legitimacy to your attack of me as trying to stir us against the Roman Empire. No, I am for the Roman Empire. Heck, I created it. And when I want it to be done, it'll be done. I don't need to create a coup. That's how quick it'll happen. And so we see this go on. And then Jesus said to the chief priest, because after every miracle, there's a message. After every miracle, there's a message from Jesus. And the message is more important than even the miracle. And then Jesus says to the chief priest, the officer of the temple, and the elders, you have now come out against me. Have you come out against me as a robber? Like, do you even need swords? Are they even going to help you? You clearly don't get who I am because your swords aren't going to allow you to take me I'm going to allow you to take me, Jesus says. But again, he does it with a question. Do you see that? He does it simply asking a question. He's saying, guys, don't miss. This is the fulfillment of everything I've been talking about leading up to this point. 
This is the fulfillment of chapter 22. Disciples, don't be caught off guard because you've prayed up and you've stayed up because you've seen the blindside blitz. And Peter missed it, right? Peter totally missed the blitz. It's why he takes off the ear. It's why he pulls the sword because he forgot. Jesus was saying, no, no, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm in charge of these circumstances no matter how bad they look and they appear. And here's Jesus continuing on to those people. He says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, in daytime, when the light was out, you never came after me, did you? Never once. Why? Because you could attack me, Jesus, all you want, and you will never find anything against me. You waited until darkness You waited until there were lies and there was deceit. And again, don't miss, I think, part of the metaphor here. In the daytime, the light exposes the darkness. But in the darkness, it tends to hide. And don't miss what Jesus says here. You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour, darkness. Satan, this is your hour. You minions from the evil one, this is your hour. And this is the power of darkness. And make no mistake, that power is strong and it's legitimate and it's real. But our God is a lion, amen? Roaring, the king of Judah, and he fights our battles, what? For us. Because we cannot fight them on our own, church. So stop. Stop trying. And so I'm just going to ask you right now where you are, because I don't want to miss this for each and every one of us in this last 24 hours of Jesus' life. That he's inviting us to him to step out of the darkness to say, no, you know what? My life is a mess. But God... And so I'm just going to ask right now, just as you are where you are, we're going to pray for a moment. Because if Jesus tells us to pray twice and we go a whole service and we just talk, then we miss the point of the message. Open your hands where you are. And just start talking to God. Say, God, I am a mess. God's like, oh, I never knew. Say, no, I knew that. I knew that you were a mess. I knew that you had issues. I just want to ask you right now, just cry out to God. What is it? What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're not trusting him for? If you're not trusting God for something, you're not alone. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But disciples don't let disciples die. We don't let disciples just live on their own. We fight for our joy. And so right now I want you to do the best thing you can do to fight for your joy, which is open your hands and say, God, I need help. God, I am desperate and I am dependent for you. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. I just want to give you a minute. And as you pray, I want to invite the ushers forward because we're going to pray and then we're going to take communion. We're going to ask God to meet us in our moment of brokenness right now just as we are where we are. Your heads are bowed, your hands are open. You're saying, God, help. We live in a world of darkness that is broken, that is messed up. Help me, Jesus. It's the best thing we can do with our lives. We remember last week, church, that that Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, which again, we're still hanging out with him, he took the cup of wine, he passed it to his saints, to his believers, to his followers, and he says, this is my blood that's going to be shed. He took the bread and he passed it, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. Do this in remembrance for me. Receive this, and then he says, and pray. 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 And so, Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gift of your life, not just the gift of your death, but the gift of your life. And right now, Jesus, we need to live for you, but we need help with that. So, Spirit, fill us. Remind us as we hold these elements that your better is better. 
as a church family right now, we're gonna pass these on. I ask you to hold them as we sing this song, reminding ourselves of the grace of God as we say, thank you, Jesus, and we'll take them all together. Do this in remembrance.